Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 8 of Room 2250. I'm your host, Hayden Nadim, along with my co-host, Christopher McCarricker. So, uh, Chris, you know, in the beginning half of the year, you know, first semester, we had some pretty cool guests. Yeah. But uh, I think... This one takes the cake. This one takes the cake, you know? Well, a lot of the, prof- like, a lot of the people we brought on, they're like... They're great, I mean. They're great, you know? But like, this one's like above and beyond. Oh, yeah. Very special guest. Very special guest. Uh, UFT's very own, Karan Singh. Karan, how are you? Very well, thank you. Chris, how are you doing this uh, morning? So I'm, doing, far? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, my schedule is so sparse, though. You know, we're recording this on a Friday, and it feels like I'm going to school on like a Saturday afternoon. It just feels weird being here. I don't know. Yeah, it's the third weekend. We did start this uh, like whole thing a bit late. I think we kind of wanted to as well. Yeah. But uh, coming back in, school's in, in swing. Yeah. But yeah, how was your break? It was nice, you know, spent time with my family, just, you know, didn't do anything super exciting. That's uh, podcast worthy, but... It was really cold. That's the yeah, one thing was, I remember. it was really... And I'm glad the weather kind of rose a bit afterwards, but then it completely dipped right back down. Yeah. Like, I think right now, as you speak, it's like minus 11 outside, something like that. Oh, man. But over, like, the Christmas break, I was just bundled in. Yeah. Yeah. Current, how was your break... I was pretty bundled in too. Yeah. That's the uh, best. That might be the best way to spend yeah. the Christmas break, I think. Yeah. You just have no energy after the exams. Yeah, just turn off your brain for a couple of weeks. Just, I mean, I, I don't know if, if professors do research or anything during that time. Actually, they 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 do. Unfortunately for us, uh, the big deadline in graphics, which is my area, happens early in this year. So. So yeah, a lot of my students, uh, unfortunately, that's how they were keeping warm. <laughs> Doing research. Yeah, just warming their hands in front of their monitors and keyboards. <laughs> warming, warming their brains up. Yeah. Speaking of which, we should uh, properly introduce our guest. Yes. So Kurt, for those of you who don't know what you do here at UFT, you know, who are you? What do you do? I mean, you just bright, briefly mentioned graphics, but... Sure. Uh, well, uh, my name is Karan Singh. I have been... Uh, graphics professor, uh, computer science professor now for very long, in fact, almost too long to remember. I've been here since 2002, so that puts it at about 16 years. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're just little kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was eight years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, so what do you like teach right now like in terms of actual courses? Um, as I mentioned, my area is graphics, so just about anything that is visual. I also work with computers as a tool so that people typically interact with that tool. So I work in interactive graphics, and the courses that I teach reflect that. So they're either straight graphical concepts, visual concepts, or interactive concepts, human-computer interaction. Um, or courses that tend to combine the visual form, the interactive form, and then on the research side looks at cutting edge devices and hardware and things that's coming out and what we can do with it that's creative. Okay, so you, when you say that you're you know working with computers as an interactive tool, and a lot of your courses are focused around that now, You've been here long enough. Did you make those courses? Like, were you the person who introduced those courses to UFT, or was was it already in place before then? Both. So many. Uh, there's a standard uh, fourth year, final year 
graphics course and an interaction course uh, that have existed probably for 20 years before I got here. So they've been around for, for forever. Uh, I don't know how far back, but certainly 10 years before I was here. Um, they've evolved since then, of course. They continue to change in terms of the content to keep up with, uh, with modern trends and what's going on in the field today. Uh, both in terms of what is taught, but also how it's taught in terms of the, the languages and the APIs that get, get used. And uh, at the same time, all courses that relate to my research are ones that I've formulated and continue to formulate. And the beauty of that is uh, those things are just a way of allowing uh, people that want to work in the area that you're interested in to get up to speed to it really quickly. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I mean, I guess it's a bit naive of me, but to see that graphics courses have existed that yeah. far back. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. You know, graphics didn't, didn't show up in 2002. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to go straight into questions for, for at first. So, um, so currently you're teaching uh, CSC 418, mm -hmm. right? So what what should ex students expect going into these courses? Because generally speaking, a lot of these courses are, I should turn off my mic Generally speaking, a lot of these courses are seen pretty difficult. So what what should they what should they expect coming into something like CSC 418? Well, certainly coming into the, four, the version of 418 that I teach, uh, I sort of expect my students coming in before anything else to have a passion to work with the visual form. It's a, it's a tough course. Uh, you know, the first class shows a lot of nice, pretty pictures and imagery and film and motivating things that motivate me and I would imagine a lot of the students that want to take the class. And uh, by the second class, all of that is replaced with some very heavy math and programming so um, you want to be there because you're passionate and motivated by by things that you see in, in film and games and other kinds of special effects but you need to be prepared and you need to have strong math and programming skills for that do you ever see like there's specific areas where students coming into for like struggle specifically Sure. Uh, a lot of them come in often with the prerequisites and the prerequisites that we have really require them to be proficient in basic algebra and calculus. Right. And these are classes that they take in their first year, sometimes in their second year. And this is a final year course. So yeah. they have all of a year and a half basically to forget all that math that they <laughs> learned in their first year and their second year. Uh, that perhaps they had no idea how useful it could be yeah, you know, I, when you study those yeah. classes in this very abstract setting. And uh, so I've had over the years many students come and say, man, I wish I'd kind of seen how this stuff gets used. Uh, I would have paid more attention back in the first year when I was taking those math courses. So that's, that's probably the biggest area where they struggle. Yeah, I think a lot of fourth year courses are actually like that. I took uh, like 411 machine learning. I felt the same way. Yeah. I hadn't done math in two, three years. 
So that's specifically what you'd recommend students kind of brush up on then? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so th this is a graphics course. What usually separates, do you, you know, you find graphics, course, graphics courses from other computer science courses, especially at like the fourth year level? Well, this is probably uh, the only course where we encourage uh, students to go out and play lots of games and uh, watch a bunch of movies and try and find their inspiration in the visual arts. So that's the first part. Um, but the other thing that might uh, separate it from a lot of other computer science courses is uh, towards the end of the course, at least the programming assignments tend to have a more real-worldly approach to them. They tend to be a little more freeform. Uh, I'm less interested in teaching people the specifics of a particular programming languages, or a language or a particular API uh, to create certain graphical constructs. And the truth is out there in, in the world now, people are creating, there's so many different ways to cre create graphics, you know, whether it's on the web, there's different uh, packages when they're, whether you're out on a desktop, different languages, different ways by which you can do it. And for us, we really focused on the concepts and it doesn't matter. And so our assignments really give people this hodgepodge of things to deal with. They're, they're doing everything from working in C to working in JavaScript to working on straight shader languages and so on. That's a big difference. Okay. So we'll go into question two. Uh, actually, it's question three to what questions I sent you. Uh, so you worked as the R&D director for the Academy Award-winning film, Ryan, back in 2005. True. So what does it mean to be an R&D director for a film? So um, typically films that are heavy on computer animation or film effects. So regardless of whether they're a live action movie that has a bunch of groundbreaking special effects in it or whether they are straight on computer animated film, uh, they often tend to have a very technical heavy component to them. Sometimes the technical side is just using existing software uh, that will allow you to do animation and certain effects. And many times, as was the case with Ryan, uh, the film is trying to break new ground by creating computer-generated imagery that has never been seen before. Uh, and that requires both R and D. So yeah. there's, there's research and there's development into it. So uh, particularly in the case of Ryan, uh, I work with a couple of my graduate students uh, on developing some new techniques that uh, people had never seen before. So some of this work outside of the film ended up getting published as papers, uh, ended up being the master's thesis of a couple of students. And so that's essentially what uh, what the R&D when you talk about film. It's a hell of a thesis. Yeah. So what was your specific component of R&D for Ryan? I believe it was, it was something called Cord. I was reading the Wikipedia page and it's something to do with, it was a, uh, Chords, yes. Yeah. So that was one of them, yes. Uh, so chords uh, were, if you watch the film, Ryan, you'll see that there are these uh, rope-like, hair-like strands that kind of move around the characters and 
do everything from gently nudge them to choke them to wrap them and uh, this was back in 2004 since then uh, you've seen that kind of stuff in a number of features and films uh, if you've watched any of the pirates of caribbean series you'll see these very octopus like tentacles going around and so on and so these are particular kinds of uh, curves uh, that uh, are difficult to control for an animator to control and define because they're the animator wants control over it at the same time uh, it needs to obey what's happening in the environment it needs to kind of wrap around geometry that's close by it needs to have this kind of physicality and appear a little bit like like physical hair might fall or drape and so on and so chords was a new geometric primitive that we developed uh, specifically for this problem for the film that allowed Chris, the director of the film, to see this vision that he had in mind through. The other big uh, breakthrough that Ryan made um, to the area of computer graphics was allowing people to work with sort of a warped perspective. Again, if you see the film, it doesn't quite look like Cinemata cinematic photography. It looks more like a, a painting. And uh, one of the things that you'll see that often happens in painting, especially if you look at uh, cubist paintings or newer, um, you know, 20, 20th century artwork, is there's an understanding of perspective, the way we see the world, uh, but then there's also uh, uh, an intentional breaking of the rules to be able to express the scene not the way it appears in general but the way the artist or the animator in this case wants to show it so this was another thing that 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 we had to build that was didn't exist before no it was a very cool movie yeah i do distinctly remember the cords wrapping around like their faces is with the, all the bright colors and everything yeah yeah there's some uh for anyone who hasn't watched it like I, 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 I yeah, I, I thought it'd be hard to find, yeah. but like, it's on YouTube, which is like great. I'm like perfect. I can watch it here. So yeah, but it's a uh, short too. It's like a, it's thirteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I often show it in the uh, info routine in the graphics class. Uh, it's great motivation. It's the kind of uh, film that you know is at par with uh, the best work that anybody has done worldwide and in filmmaking and animation and um, a lot of the tools that went into it were made here by by computer science students so uh, it's it's motivation to know that 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 you guys as students uh, can already be contributing at the most professional levels of of the art yeah so that was in 2004 so how does that compare to what you're doing now um I am still doing some animation. I have since moved on to doing a variety of uh, different things. My research in general has always been about essentially creating tools that enable creative people. Uh, it's not so much about trying to put artists out of a job or animators out of a job but to create software and tools and ideas and concepts that will make an artist more creative, more efficient at 
expressing whatever it is that they want to express, whatever they have in their head. So to that effect, most recently, over the past five years, I've done a lot of work in what I would call sketch-based techniques, where we're looking at the traditional areas of sketching and sculpting and the way we use it, even children, as a way of expressing themselves visually. Um, if you look at yourselves and think of yourself as a DVD player, we you have an audio in and you uh, have an audio out. And we have a video in, but we don't have you know these reverse eyes in your head that you can kind of project out your visual fantasies, right? Uh, the way we do it now is through language and through drawing and through sketching and sculpting. And so a lot of uh, the work that I've been doing has been looking at how one can make sense of these drawings uh, and how a computer can play a role and participate in that creative process that involves sketching. So that's one. Uh, one of the other areas that uh, I have been looking into is outside of sketching, which uses the hands a lot. The other most expressive part of our anatomy is the human face. And so a lot of work and a lot of recent work uh, actually that we've been doing has focused on the animation of faces, making them more expressive, how to deal with speech. Uh, we recently sent out a paper that is describes a magic box that takes an audio file in and produces a talking head where you have an animated figure essentially yep. speaking. Uh, this is work actually being done with uh, Chris Landreth, who was the director of Ryan, uh, who is currently our uh, artist in residence here at U of T. And outside of that, the other thing, the other big thing that I'm working on these days is the new emerging area of uh, augmented and virtual reality, which is not really new. It's been around again forever, uh, much before I joined here actually in Toronto, again, like the old graphics course. But it's become mainstream now. It is seeing a resurgence uh, and a much wider sense of adoption, which it never had before. Yeah, that's it's actually crazy. I think uh, I remember. If anyone takes 300, 50, 300, you have to learn about kind of like the tech guru. And one of them I think they teach you about is uh, this guy, I think, named Necroponics. And uh, he did some very early work with things like uh, AR. I don't know so much VR, but he was almost like laughed at. And now here it is, such an emerging field that people, I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger. He's, he's the one laughing at. Yeah, he is. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go on to the next question. Uh, this is one's a bit more personal. So at one point in time, you know, you were a first year student at, uh, you know, at the Indian Institute of Technology in you know, Chennai. So how did your journey lead you from being, you know, from like an undergraduate student to like this world renowned researcher? Yeah, most, most first year students you know, don't, don't plan on becoming professors, let alone, you know, very professors leading in their, like leading professors in their field. So what motivated you? So, well, um, I always enjoyed computer science. Uh, that's kind of what took me to the point of becoming a first year student, as you said, uh, uh, at the Indian Institute of Technology. 
Um, not an easy school to get into, by the way. Not an yeah. easy school to get into. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that was a good decision for me. I, I, I have always enjoyed computer science. There's a, there's, there's, there's a great theoretical mathematical side uh, to it that resonates with me. And at the same time, uh, you know, with programming, computer programming, there's, there's a strong practical aspect and the ability to make strong practical impact. Um, as the years went by, there really wasn't very much by way of graphics uh, in Chennai at least. And uh, I realized that uh, uh, there's a lot of the creative arts uh, in my family. My mother is uh, a sculptor and I don't quite have her uh, artistic hands uh, per se, but I had the desire to try and express myself visually and uh, that's kind of what led me to computer graphics, which is this marriage of the visual arts and more hardcore computer science. And uh, so I kept studying in that area, kept uh, working in that area, uh, never really necessarily wanted to be a professor. In fact, after my PhD, I was out in industry working for a number of years. Um, and uh, at one point though, I had a desire to work on more longer term projects, more experimental, more something that was more out there than uh, the shorter term focus that the industry somewhat necessarily needs to have. Right. And I had been publishing, I had still been doing cutting edge work and academia was still interested in me. So. Um, uh, in 2002, I started up as a professor and been doing that ever since. So your, your first professor role was at U of D? Yes. It's a it's quite impressive start. No, not a lot of people can say that. Well, it's a good place to be. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So if you don't mind me asking, what were you doing in the industry? So uh, at one point, I worked for um, a company actually based out of Toronto uh, that was called alias uh, in the late 90s and they produced uh, a software which still today 20 years later is kind of the industry standard for animation called Maya oh, okay. and uh, I wrote a big chunk of that in the old uh, in the old days so I was part of the group that uh, developed all the character and uh, facial animation tools for uh, the software Maya. Nice. Yeah. Very cool, actually. Okay, so we'll go into our last question. So I, I was doing a little bit of research, and in 2005, I found this interview. A little bit of research. A little bit of research. <laughs> 2005 interview with the, the Times of India. And you were asked, you know, why do you choose animation? And you had responded with, and I quote, because I'm too scared to go out and find a real job. This is a sandbox for someone who never grew up. And then jumping a bit honestly being at school is avoiding a real job even though it trains you for one so have your thoughts changed on this because this was like that's true it was 2005 uh, uh, there are times when it does feel like a real job for sure uh, but the sentiment remains the sentiment is still the same uh, being a researcher really keeps everything fresh all the time uh, you keep changing, you keep trying new things. At the same time, to be 
current and to be active, you're constantly learning as well. You're you're not only teaching, you're constantly learning from others, you're teaching yourself. And uh, it's great. I mean, which is why 16 years have passed and I, I, I feel like it hasn't been nearly as long uh, that I've been here. The students from year to year, they they keep you young, they keep you on your toes, they keep you honest, they they keep you fresh. I find I learn as much from them as hopefully they learn from me. You know, I've made, I've made this joke before, but I feel like our podcast is like a one big advertisement to go into academia sometimes. Yeah, I, that's true. We actually have had a lot of, a I mean, lot every, of research. And I mean, every professor always says good things, so yeah. you know, not too many jobs you can say that. I will say, though, you're... You're being you you in in this interview. You said you know honestly, being in school is avoiding a real job, which I mean, I'm assuming research is pretty cutthroat. It is. It is cutthroat, um, but it's cutthroat and fun at the same time. I would imagine if you talk to people that were maybe musicians. Cutthroat, oh, you know, trying to make it in the music business, but people that do it do it, I think, because they like to make music, not necessarily because they're looking to earn a wage, and that's really what I mean by real job. I, as in, uh, um, the, focusing on the word job, where usually job means something or a task that you have to go and do that you don't necessarily want to do. And uh, I think the big difference here is it's, it's something that you go out and do regardless if, of whether anyone were to pay you any money for it or not. That's the difference. So w- what would your pitch be for students? Suppose like, you know, I'm a, I come to you, I'm a fourth year graphic student. I'm like, professor, why should I go into research and not into the field? Well, I would actually ask you why you wanted to go into research. It turns out that the truth is research is not really for everybody. There are a lot of really intelligent, brilliant, talented people, uh, students that are out there that uh, their talents and their 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 abilities lie elsewhere. Um, particularly within the computer science world, there's, there's uh, people that get make great programmers uh, that are able to take um, well-defined, well-known problems and execute on them and implement them in a way that is bulletproof that most people in research actually may not be able to do. So research is a slightly different skill set. It's, 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 it requires a certain level of curiosity, a little certain level of creativity, uh, uh, that 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 uh, I wouldn't say is in any way better or superior than what people in industry might be doing. It's just a different. It's a different different skill and a different desire. So I would actually ask people why they wanted to go into research, and if I felt that the answers were were the good ones, then absolutely it can be very fulfilling. Uh, but there are a lot of people that that make great, you know, software managers, software architects, software engineers, uh, that uh, can be as, if not more, successful 
than people in research. I think the one of the most consistent answers we've gotten is, uh, is that research isn't for everybody. Yeah. I think between... I guess there's no point in lying about it. Yeah. yeah sure. True. I mean, it can be very fulfilling. It can also be very frustrating, right? You can be barking up the wrong tree for a very long time and yeah. make no headway whatsoever. Yeah, that's fair. I think those are all the questions for now. We still have a little bit of time. Yeah, so I think we'll go into the news now. So Chris, it's just me and you now. Uh, Professor Singh is gone. Yes. Uh, so it's time for the news. For everyone's favorite favorite part of our podcast. Favorite, favorite, uh, my favorite part of the podcast, at least. <laughs> um, so first thing from the varsity. Yeah. Uh, pretty sure we heard about this. Big big news. Big big news. If you don't know about it. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you've been. Uh, TAs are set. To strike on February 26th. Uh, they voted on this on Monday, actually Monday this week, Monday the 22nd of January. To decide the, the strike date. To decide the strike. Yes. 90% voted in favor. To in favor of a strike mandate in December. Yeah, that was that was a while back. I think they. Was, I think the deadline is recent though. Yeah, the deadline was recent. Sorry, I'm reading this wrong. Nonetheless, uh, the people, the unit that's going on strike represents 7,000. Yeah, people, which is actually quite a bit. Uh, and uh, UFT, apparently the person in charge, Professor Kelly Hannah Moffitt, uh, she is working to reach a tentative agreement. Which you know, yeah, I've, I've heard some some details about this. Um, apparently, the there's been some concessions made on the on the on UFT's part. But the major points that this union is looking for, they're not. And I think I think this is what I remember um, hearing, is that the the bigger concessions that they that they're really pushing for won't be met, which means it's looking like there's a decent chance the strike will happen. Hell yeah! Yeah, I, mean, I hope so. Okay, but like the thing about these strikes is that these are late. So will we get the same booyah benefits that we got a couple well, of years? I think. The, the UTSU uh, president said he wants to push for it if, like, the credit, no credit. Uh, well, they have, well, I mean, like, something has to happen. I hope so. That, that, well, that's, that's why, you know, that's the only reason why anyone would look forward to this, right? Yeah, 100%. If there's none of that. It's, it's pretty I, selfish, but at the same time, it's like... Well, every, everyone wins, you know. The, <laughs> the, the, the TAs win. You know, it's good for them, and we win. We win. We should support it. We should support the strike. Yeah. Uh, I do. But yeah, okay, so leading on to this, um, we're gonna go. It's actually hilarious. So at this is also from, uh, by the way, from the varsity. So the Scarborough campus student union, around fifty students, came in and started protesting on certain elections, and it was, and somebody got injured. <laughs> what were they protesting for? I don't know. The CRO got hit. I I think I forgot what they're. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't really care. No, but, but except for the what, point that, that somebody got injured. Yeah, that's I'm like, that's hilarious. So tends to like calm down. Like you're a computer science student union. Yeah, that's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If anyone gets injured, like I don't know, that's impressive. But yeah, they were. They, I'm sure nobody's actually injured, but nonetheless, uh, they were running for president, and there were some, there were some protests based on somebody. Uh, apparently, the CRO wasn't acting neutral. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here. And this is, I think, a controversial opinion in some circles. 
for the majority of our listeners, and I think majority of the university students would agree, people take some of the student politics stuff way too seriously. Yeah. 100%. Like, like listen, it's nice to be student politics, but like... If you're protesting something about student it politics... Better it better matter. It won't... There's no... 0% chance it'll matter. If you're protesting something as a student union, you care too much. Yeah. It's definitely... It's overblown more than it is. I mean, most of, most of it, quite frankly, is it's it's uh, self-contained bullshit. That's what I'll call it. Yeah. And sometimes I think people, I'm sure sometimes it's it's, it's justified. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's just like. But usually, when in terms of like, like it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. I'm still paying all this, you know, all this nonsense fees. The only time I'll protest is somebody's like, "We're paying less fees." I'm like, "100 percent, I'm oh, on yeah, board. Sign on. me up." Well, they did that one time, I think, uh, when they were trying to get rid of the when they're trying to separate from the the union of unions. I forgot the name of it. Man, I should have signed up for that one. You know what I'm talking about? I actually don't know. It's like the Canadian... Oh, wait, the guys who are like, there should be no student fees at all. No, no, no. That's a bit different. You know what? I I can't remember, so let's let's move on. We'll we'll move on. Okay. Uh, But if you are protesting, just stay safe, please. (laughs) If you're protesting, just don't. don't. Unless unless it's like real politics, like this is something that's like Canadians. Not it's like, oh, like, the or, CRO or, said, like... I like one person. Yeah, like, oh, man, like, let's get your pitchforks out, boys. All right, uh, so moving on. So Google is pestering ads get mute button. Google's pestering ads are getting a mute button. Sorry, I read that. I put you that one as well. That's good news. Yeah, it's good news. Uh, this is the best news so far. So which is, yeah, it's... So this is cool. So it's like so Google will now let people mute basically ads that encourage them to visit, uh, encourages them to visit to websites that previously searched items on, right? So suppose you were shopping for something, yeah, and you we've all been we've all had this hundred percent in twenty first century. I have it with Mister Game all the goddamn time. So you want to look for something, and you searched it, and you're like, I actually don't want this. And then everywhere you go, that's the ad you see. Right, and the biggest, the biggest abuser of this is freaking Amazon. Oh, Even for a second, and on, it's not ads, but YouTube too. YouTube too, yeah, I guess. But like, so on Amazon, I remember once there was like uh, this game I was looking at. I was gonna buy it. it was Red Dead Redemption. I'm, I'm not gonna buy it, like the first one, but I just yeah. looked at it. I was wonder what the price was. And for like two weeks, that's the only ad I saw. I'm like, listen, I actually I don't mind Amazon ads because sometimes I'm like, oh, it's actually on sale now. Yeah, but like a lot of the times, it's like I don't care. I'm glad Google's doing this mute thing. I don't need 15 slow cookers. That's what I'll say. <laughs> That's a- like if I if I look for something on Amazon, it's already too late to advertise it to me. I've either already bought it or I'm not. Like I'm not gonna buy yeah. it. Like it's the, like that's the funny thing. I guess yeah, Amazon has a weird thing. I hate it when when you're looking because I was looking. I re- I told you I built my computer recently. Yeah, and I was looking for different you know mice to use for my computer. And I bought one, right? Amazon knows this because I bought it from them. Why they kept showing me other mice? I don't know. I'm like, listen, there's yeah, got to be some kind of algorithm that should be like, you've already bought this. He doesn't want to see this. I'm not- get something like it. Keyboard. Advertise a keyboard. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. You know, uh, speaking of you buying computers, and this was in the news recently, um, I think it was NVIDIA uh, was, was telling um, distributors, like the, the sellers of their graphic cards, to not sell to miners, crypto miners, because uh, I, I don't know if anyone has bought graphics cards recently, but 
the prices in the past, I think, couple of years have skyrocketed. Because and it's because people are using them to mine cryptocurrency. I'm not like I the whole cryptocurrency mining thing. I'm like, it, I don't know if it's worth it. But I haven't done the math, but yeah. I I'm not gonna. I don't think in that in Canada, especially Ontario, where for <laughs> hydro prices are yeah insane. 100%. I don't think it's worth it for you to mine. Now, nonetheless, uh, I don't know about you know. But so when I bought my build my computer, I spent roughly, you know, twenty three hundred dollars. Yeah. Right? I spent quite a bit of money. I built it from scratch. It, you know what? Probably would have been guarantee you fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars if you buy if you made it two years ago. Sure. Do you know how much it is if I built it now though? How much? It's three grand. Three grand. Yeah, and because you know why? How many months ago did you build it? I built it in November. So what was that? Three months. Just not yeah, barely. Barely three months it's gone up like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, it was insane. I couldn't believe it. Because uh, one of my friends is trying to build a computer and she looked at graphics cards and I bought my this is maybe a bit nerdy. I bought my 1080 for six hundred and seventy dollars. Wait, 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 we run. We run this podcast, yes, fair. Pod, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I bought my 1080 for six hundred and seventy dollars. Right now, it's not <laughs> available any anywhere at all. Yeah. It's nine hundred dollars. Just to just for your information, the TI is just a hundred dollars more at that point. Yeah, that's I'm like, crazy. what? What happened? Where did all the graphics cards go? I bought it in November. This, How did all this? This appear? is what I'm not looking forward to. Is when I have to upgrade my my PC. Is I'm you know I just I hope cryptocurrency is a little bit dead. Dead. You just ki- kill them all. Uh, <laughs> just kill off cryptocurrencies. Uh, a certain friend of ours lost quite a bit of money. Yeah. Because they bought it in December. Yeah. Oh, uh, just rule of thumb. Uh, if something's at an all time high, not the right time. <laughs> To purchase just a good advice from Rotman student uh, buy low sell high yeah not buy high <laughs> sell like at best it's buy high sell high like that yeah. doesn't sound good yeah even that's the best that, that's the best situation you have so moving on uh, we're going to Apple so we missed this news because it happened when we were away but um, you probably know like the whole security thing no Apple slows down your computer oh right. so your phone yes so, uh, if you guys know, but suppose you bought an iPhone 7, because the iPhone 8 came out, your phone is actually slower than before. Like, they make, yeah, they make they the phone software slower. Yeah. Just to make it the, the reason this happens is because the new software is more demanding, and obviously it takes up more battery power. And in order to make sure that your batteries last long, they slow down your phone. Yeah. Now, people hinted at this, but it was never proven until Apple was like, yeah, it's actually true, and everybody lost their mind. Uh, Apple. So why did they admit to it? By the way, that's that's crazy. Because I mean, suppose somebody if because it got leaked, it would look worse. It'd be like they were hiding it from us. Yeah, I guess. I mean, which they were. (laughs) They just they just told you anyways. But anyways, Apple, as of three hours ago, uh, said that their iPhone battery slow down is going to be an option now. (laughs) So you can Hmm. optionally sit down and be like, I want to slow down. You know what? Yeah, that sounds like a great great option. I think the worst thing I did. I already updated my phone, which is a huge mistake. Huge, huge mistake. I, I, I'm not upgrading my, I'm not updating my uh, MacBook. My MacBook. Yeah, I see. I see. There's like on the top right says you know upgrade to High Sierra. Enjoy the latest technologies and refinements to your favorite apps. No, I'm okay. Thanks. Uh, but yeah. So I don't know. I don't. They're they're also they also said oh we'll we'll offer to change your battery and they were charging an astounding hundred and twenty nine dollars <laughs> to change the battery. Apparently they dropped the price to to twenty nine dollars. That's actually really cheap. Yeah, that's not, in that's, the U.S., that's, that's not bad. That's reasonable. That's reasonable. I mean, I don't say that often, 
about Apple, Apple but yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, if somebody told me, "Hater, your battery is dying. It's at seventy five percent of what it was. Pay thirty dollars to pay thirty dollars to change your battery." I can assure you that would stop me from buying a new phone like every two years. My biggest reason I yeah, buy a new phone yeah. like every I buy phones quite often, usually because I break them. I think that I've had this phone the longest. Uh, I have an iPhone seven as well, uh, but. Biggest reason I change my phones is because the batteries die. Which yeah. sucks you don't have a phone that you just change the battery really easily. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I wish we had back to Nokia old phones. Oh, yeah. So, moving on to some creepy news. Uh, this disturbed me. I actually saw the original video on Reddit. Okay. Uh, so, there was an app, and the app was based on uh, the Nickelodeon show for kids called Blaze and the Monster Machines. And it's a Nickelodeon TV show. Okay. Right? It's an animation. This is already starting to sound creepy, though. Okay. No, it is creepy. So there's an artificial app on, like, the app store. And some parent heard, like, the app from the kid. What the hell are you, you know, like, using? Grabbed it and recorded it. And basically, the app is just has the kid, like, the big blaze, like, the monster machine that calls the person. And you have to, like, fake answer it. Yeah. And the guy just says some normal stuff and then immediately goes creepy and says uh oh you look afraid oh is it because of the ha- knife in my hands making you a little nervous this knife is going to improve your look when it's sticking right out of you like this is an actual app aimed for kids must, must have been a bug like what <laughs> it's a why bug. was that ever in there it, it's an unofficial app right oh, it's unofficial yeah so some creepy weirdo some cs student from uft 100 uh made this app and i'm like honestly it's pretty pretty sickening like i saw the app it's like kind it's of like creepy out as well yeah it's like a weird thing to do because it's like like it's one thing to like you know, prank adults like prank kids yeah like, you know someone had to think about like i'm gonna do this I don't like know. The, that's it, weird like the, the show is aimed for like three-year-old kids you know i don't understand i don't know it's really weird google took out the app immediately after somebody told them right which is great but like i know for youtube there's a lot of weird yeah YouTube videos. So if so you have like a younger tar- tar- brother targeted to kids, yeah. yeah if you, or you have a younger brother or like I don't know if you have kids. Videos. Yeah, they're they're weird. Yeah, I, I I mean my brother watches a lot of YouTube. Yeah. Luckily he only watches garbage like PewDiePie. Yeah. Which is actually to be fair, I actually like PewDiePie now. Nonetheless the most probably the most wholesome. The most wholesome. He's not kid oriented. He's not kid, but like my brother's thirteen, he can live with it. But like I don't know, this stuff creeps me out. Uh so I don't know. Weird people in the world. Like, if you're going to be weird, be weird, you know, target adults. Like, no, don't target people, but I mean, you know, if you're going to be weird, make it adult-themed weird. Yeah. Don't don't go after kids. That's, don't get that's the wrong. I don't know. That's go. too much for me. Just FYI, for the past uh, three news articles from the BBC. Right. Yeah. Well, the BBC is usually our go-to, I think. Yeah, the go-to. BBC or the varsity. BBC or the varsity. Anyway, we're going to digital trends now. Okay. Because so. this is this is cool news. Okay. This is, um, I guess, some of these happy news, but 50 Cent. Oh, I heard about you this. You heard about this. So, uh, so basically, 50 Cent uh, or Curtis Jackson. Uh, I don't think a lot of people even know 50 Cent because he's so old. At this point. I didn't know his name was Curtis Jackson. His name is Curtis Sounds Jackson. Sounds like a nice, wholesome guy. I mean, when, unless when you see him. Also, the, the, the fam- biggest arms on earth. Also, very famous video game character, 50 Cent. <laughs> yeah, I played, actually, I'll tell you about it later. I actually played one of his games. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh 50 Cent, uh, for those of you who don't know, rapper from like the 2000s, uh, found out he has $8 million in Bitcoin. <laughs> the rich get richer. The rich get richer. So apparently he forgot he had 700 Bitcoins. He forgot, which was quite 
Like, awesome. just uh, FYI, for tax purposes, it's very convenient to forget that you have money lying yeah, around, right? Sure. It's, yes. um, so, and the thing is that the reason he had 700 bitcoins is because he accepted them as payments for one of his albums back in 2014. That paid off for him. That, I mean, props to him. Like, I mean, like, you know, I don't, I mean, if I tomorrow morning release something and somebody's like, can I pay you Bitcoin for your stuff? I'll be like, no. Yeah. Right? Well, and this is, yeah, this, this is true. But like back then, like this not. is 2014, like somebody was like, can I pay you Bitcoin for your like music? And the guy's like, all right, yeah, for sure. And then he said, yeah, I'm like, people can pay with whatever they want to. Uh, and at that time, at that time, like the dollar value like the amount of Bitcoin he had, the 700 Bitcoins was worth $660. Wow. And uh, $660 each, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was worth quite a bit. But I think that comes up to 500000 almost. If my math's not, my math isn't failing me. But nonetheless, that's insane. Like that jump is yeah. uh, like to like not even double. That's like tenfold increase. Of your cash, yeah, that's almost a uh, sixteen times increase. Sixteen times increase, yeah. You are the rich get richer. Yeah. I wish I accepted Bitcoin payments. Well, yeah. Anyways, uh, I think that's it for now. We will try to be more consistent with the show. Try is the uh, strong word. We're in our final semester right now. Yeah, this 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 is gonna be the end of the podcast in a couple of months. Yeah, no, not only that, but it's gonna be end of. We're out of university after this. Yeah, we're. Are we're you, out. Why are they gonna? Well, you're not. You're not coming back here, are you? No. No. Not, <laughs> yeah. not, not even remote. No, we're, we're not interested. As much as I, as much as I, we host uh, professor-oriented podcasts, I guess we can practically call it. Uh, no, not even a slight. You know, pod, you know, research isn't for everyone. Research isn't for everyone. All right. Until next time. Take care.